Hello, Rebels. You're listening to a free audio-only recording of my show, Rebel Roundup. Tonight, my guests are Sheila Gunn-Reed and Kian Bexty. If you like listening to this podcast, then you would love watching it. But in order to watch, you need to be a subscriber to premium content. That's what we call our long-format TV-style shows on The Rebel. Subscribers get access to watching my weekly show, as well as other great TV-style shows, too. It's only $8 a month to subscribe, or you can subscribe annually and get two months free. And just for podcast listeners, you can save an extra 10% on a new premium membership by using the coupon code PODCAST when you subscribe. Just go to rebelnews.com to become a member. And please leave a five-star review on this podcast and subscribe in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Those reviews are a great way to support The Rebel without spending a dime. And now, enjoy this free audio-only version of my show. Welcome to Rebel Roundup, ladies and gentlemen, and the rest of you, in which we look back at some of the very best commentaries of the week by your favorite Rebels. I'm your host, David Menzies. Well, Jonathan slash Jessica Yaniv has filed his statement of defense in regard to our lawsuit, and oh, it is so unintentionally funny, you won't want to miss what Kian Bexty has to say about it. And, well, the Liberals have a new strategy when it comes to freedom of information requests, it seems. If the data looks too embarrassing, well, just have the FOI department claim that it doesn't exist. Just wait until you hear what Sheila Gunn-Reed has to say about this scandal. And finally, letters. We get your letters. We get them every minute of every day. And I'll share some of your responses regarding my coverage of the International Women's Day March in Toronto which had everything to do with, oh, communism and climate change and so on, but precious little to do with actual woman's liberation. How did that happen? Those are your rebels. Now let's round them up. Now, there's a lot to dissect in this document that Jonathan Yaniv filed at the courthouse this week. The first thing that I want to point out is the name of the person who filed the document in his own handwriting, Jonathan Yaniv admits his name is Jonathan Yaniv. In this document filed by Jonathan, it is made clear that he's not taking this civil suit seriously. He's never been in a position where he's actually had to be held accountable for his actions. But we're going to make sure that he is held accountable. You can see this whole document at yanivtrial.com. I'm going to go through his claims point by point, but I want to show you a video just for context of what happened to me on January 13th. Watch this. Go away from me. Go away. Fucking hell. Go away from me. Jesus, get away from me. Go away from me. Fucking crazy fucking get thing. Get away from me. Get away. Get the fuck away from me. Stay away from me. Get away from me. Now. Right now. You heard me? I'm calling the police on you. I don't give a shit. Get away from me. You stay away from me. I'm backing up. Now, one of the first claims that Jonathan makes in this document is that Kian would not go away from me and started to yell. 
Contrary to this, I approached Jonathan, and in the first three seconds of me asking a very level-headed question, Yaniv charged at me. Watch this. Yaniv, will you, will you be pleading guilty? What? No, don't touch me. Don't touch me. Stop! Go away from me! Now, perhaps even more hilariously, Yaniv goes on to say, I grabbed him and used force myself. Now, as you can see in this video, both of my hands were quite clearly full of my camera equipment, and even though there was a lot to push back against, I didn't touch Yaniv. Now this one really cracks me up. Yaniv clearly has no recollection of what happened that day, even though there's video evidence from multiple angles of it happening. Yaniv says I called him freak and it. That's not quite how I remember it. Get away from me, Go away you fucking from me. crazy fucking Get thing. Get away from me. Kian also committed acts of hate by calling me by my birth name. It's considered offensive to call me this. <laughs> Well, it's the Frankensteinian gift that keeps on giving, isn't it? I speak of Jonathan, or is it Jessica Yaniv? Johnny's filed his defense, and now more than ever, I can hardly wait for this lawsuit to be argued in a court of law. And with more on this is our roving reporter and fellow Yaniv victim, Kian Bexty. Welcome to Rebel Roundup, my friend. Hi, David. Always good to have you, Kian. So, Kian, it's almost sad in a way to see Yaniv incriminate himself. For example, he is so quick to lay a formal complaint with any organization should anyone have the utter temerity to call him by his given name, and I assume legal name of Jonathan, yet in his statement of defense, as you clearly point out, that's how he refers to himself. Hasn't he already dug a hole for himself here, Kian? Yeah, he, he certainly has. And it's something that I'm going to use next time Twitter tries to ban me uh, for using the proper name, Jonathan Yaniv. Uh, it's something that we know he goes by in private. We know that his mother calls him Jonathan. We know that his mother says he, him, all that kind of stuff. I, I don't like getting caught up in this pronoun stuff. The only thing that I care about is uh, reporting on on Jonathan Yaniv in a way that people, people, so people can be aware of what he's doing because he's such a predator in the community, he's such a dangerous person, uh, and and I think that it, it it gets, I don't want to be distracted from how awful of a person he is and get get sort of into the into the weeds with these these trans issues because at the base of it, the problem here with Jonathan Yaniv is that he's a predator who hurts immigrant women. Who, who hurts young women, young girls, uh, by, by pulling sexually explicit uh, images from them and sending them vice versa. Uh, it's, it's, he's a terrible person, and I'm glad that we're finally able to take him to court over something. Indeed, uh, Kian, he is a vile individual. There's no question about it, not just for how he has assaulted uh, people like you and I for just doing our jobs, but like you said, immigrant women working out of their home who are clearly uncomfortable with providing waxing services to someone who is, of course, biologically male. 
And, you know, it always comes down to the motivation. Um, one motivating factor, I assume, was um, getting compensation from the BC Human Rights Tribunal. That completely backfired because in a stunning reversal in terms of the human rights racket, um, at last count, I believe three victims were awarded $2,000 each. I don't know if that 6000 has been paid. When I last looked, it hadn't. And the other thing I can only think of, um, Kian, like my spidey senses tingle when I read about all his endeavors. It's like he's trying desperately to become famous or infamous. Do you think that's a driving factor here with uh, Jonathan Yaniv? Yeah, I think that's absolutely uh, correct. I think that he's thinks any publicity is good publicity. Uh, you can see it on his Twitter. If you just scroll through his Twitter very briefly, uh, you'll see that he posts repeatedly knowing that it's going to cause hatred towards him. He just thrives off the attention. Uh, he gets ratioed more than any other Twitter account that I know of. Uh, rarely anything will like what he's saying. If, if it is, it's usually a sock account of his own of his own making. Uh, and there's usually hundreds of people uh, telling him to stop or, or uh, it's just, it's, his Twitter's not a pretty sight, but he seems to thrive on it. So uh, I would agree with you. I think that this is all a show for him uh, and he's doing anything that he can to sort of increase his recognizability. And, and you know, it's funny too, Kian, uh, I, I agree. I think there's the financial aspect. I think there's this quest for fame. Um, I can't explain the role of his mother here, who is his um, sidekick. That's uh, his Rob, uh, the, the Robin to his Batman, if you will, um, because she seems all in on this. I, I can tell you, if I was one of his parents, I'd be flying into Wuhan province right now <laughs> to take up residence and be around <laughs> uh, Jonathan Yaniv. Uh, what do you think is the deal there, Kian? Yeah, your guess is as good as mine. Uh, I think they're both mentally, you know, they have something going on. Uh, the mother has repeatedly uh, caused these outbursts where she either, she's hit me too. I don't know. I should have seen her as well. Uh, she she hit me outside of uh, my car when I was trying to interview Jonathan. Uh, but he seems to go back and forth between saying, Jonathan, stop it, Jonathan. Because when Jonathan launched at me inside the courthouse uh, a few weeks before the assault that we're suing him for, uh, she actually pulled Yaniv away uh, and said, stop it, you're being silly, you're being dumb. Uh, but then other times it seems like she's egging him on, especially on Twitter. But lots of people have postulated that uh, maybe Yaniv, Jonathan, actually controls the Twitter of his mother because it seems like sort of the, the personality on Twitter doesn't really match up with the personality we see in, per, uh, in person, which is uh, someone who can't speak English very well, if at all. Uh, it just uh, doesn't really seem to understand what's going on mo most of the time. So um, I, I, I don't understand what her driving factor is outside of maybe love for her lost son, um, but I, I don't know. Wow. And, and indeed, uh, I too was assaulted by her back in August, uh, Kian. Uh, she was using her iPad as a weapon to uh, hit me over the head and jam it into my Adam's apple. Um, it, it, it was just absolutely stunning. Certainly not ladylike behavior by any degree. But let's get back to the uh, statement of defense, uh, Kian. 
What is consistent both with, um, you know, your incident and my incident is he has this narrative that we're running up to him, we're hounding him, but the precise opposite is true. You just have to see the video. He's like a rhino rhinoceros charging after us. I mean, in my encounter, um, he was already up on the, the third floor of his mother's condo. Uh, he was home free, if you will, on private property. I wasn't going to venture there. And he decided to come down and take a charge at me. So, uh, Kian, you know, always with any trial, the judge is the X factor. But based on the video evidence, you clearly say, see that he's the aggressor in both cases, not the, not the other way around. Yeah, here's the thing, David. If if Jonathan Yaniv is correct in his claim that he he submitted to the court this week, which he's absolutely not, if he's correct, it means that no reporter uh, would be allowed to stand outside of a courthouse and wait for someone of, of criminal interest uh, or of, of civil litigation interest, nobody's allowed to stand outside of a court and report on that trial and ask questions of someone leaving the courthouse. That is what happened. That is the meat and potatoes of what happened on January 13th with me. Uh, with you, it's a similar situation, just not at the court. Um, the, the situation here is the, the, the subject was violent uh, and aggressive and the, the fault and onus is 100% on them. You can't blame reporters for doing their job waiting outside of a courthouse, which is something that reporters do all the time. Think about the trial of uh, the Huawei executive. There was reporters lined outside of that courthouse, but uh, Meng Wangzhou didn't charge at them and assault them, even though I'm sure the stakes are much higher for her. And I'm sure that she was upset with the reporters who wanted to expose her. Uh, and, and cover the story in a critical way. Um, but just because someone's standing outside of a courthouse doesn't give um, someone permission to violently assault them. But you know, on the flip side, Kian, I can kind of understand why Jonathan Yaniv would think that he's entitled to that kind of uh, censorship on his behalf because as you discovered, shockingly, uh, a few months ago, when you went to cover the court, the, the, the trial, uh, with the prohibited weapon, that is, um, there were sheriffs at that BC courthouse that were, A, barring you from entering, and B, citing a regulation that doesn't even exist for their, um, you know, for them to carry out this um, uh, blocking of you getting into the courthouse. And so uh, this is something else that I've always been scratching my head about, Akian. Why is it that, uh, whether it's the BC Human Rights Tribunal or these courthouse sh sheriffs, why are they enabling this very heinous individual to carry on what he's doing? It's a question I'll be asking for a long time, David. Uh, it seems like it's a reoccurring thing, law enforcement always seems to give Yaniv the benefit of the doubt. And maybe that's just where we live. This is Canada and this, and, and we allow violent uh, people uh, to play the victim just because they're trans. I guess that's just the country, the corrupt country that we live in, David. And it, it's going to, uh, that point is going to irk me until the day that I die. That this individual has uh, been given such a, such a powerful, uh, 
position and, and with the police uh, and, and given so much leeway to manipulate the justice system and the pseudo justice justice system like the, the Human Rights Tribunal. Thankfully, the Human Rights Tribunal of all courts in this godforsaken country is the one that told him no. Um, but hopefully, hopefully that um, hopefully the courts follow step with the Human Rights Tribunal. Well, um, Kian, we'll have to wrap it there. Uh, all I can say is that um, if justice is indeed blind, if the judge is completely unbiased, if the video evidence, you know, is played and uh, you just look upon that as a third-party individual for the first time, I think that's all we need to make this case almost a slam dunk. I know lawyers cringe at the word slam dunk, but I can't see this being going any other way. I really can't, my friend. So anyways, thank you so much for that excellent update. And I guess one of these days we're going to be in a court of law <laughs> arguing uh, this nonsense. And uh, hopefully uh, justice shall prevail. Thanks, David. You got it. And that is Kian Bexty in Calgary. Keep it here, folks. More of Rebel Roundup to come right after this. Canada has a new environment minister. His name is Jonathan Wilkinson. He's been on the job since November 20th, 2019. And I wanted to know if he is practicing the low-carbon lifestyle and making the hard choices to save the planet from that carbon apocalypse the Liberals just absolutely will not shut up about. So we asked his ministry to provide copies of the logs of the official vehicle used to transport the minister since November 20th, 2019. What I'm asking for are limo records. Every cabinet minister has a, quote, official vehicle. It's a limo more often than not, but sometimes a town car or an SUV. And every one of these government vehicles needs a detailed mileage log. I know they're out there because I've gotten my hands on them in the past through a similar access to information request. In fact, that's how we found out that Minister Christia Freeland was sending her limo to Montreal and other places completely empty ahead of her plane so that the limo was ready and waiting to drive her around before it came back empty and she hopped on a plane back to Ottawa. I had her limo records and then I matched them up to her flight records. It was a lot of work, but I uncovered a huge hypocritical scandal from the liberals. And now the liberals know I'm looking for these sorts of things. They know I'm going to match up their flights and their limo logs and I can't wait to do it. So the liberals have a new trick up their sleeves. Let me show you. Here's the response we got back from the new climate change is going to kill us all unless we pay a carbon tax federal minister. After a thorough search, no records were found concerning this request. This is absolutely unbelievable. The mileage logs exist and the maintenance records exist. They're out there. Oh, those records are out there, all right. It's just that, obviously, the, li the Liberals don't want to be hoisted on their own green-hued climate change petard, especially given how Miss Freeland's hypocrisy was exposed for all to see by our very own Sheila Gunn-Reed, who joins me now. Welcome to Rebel Roundup, my friend. Hey, David. Thanks for having me on the show. Well, it's always a pleasure. So, Sheila, what is more egregious here? The idea that the newly minted environment minister is most likely not being limoed anywhere in a Toyota Prius, but most likely in a Chevy Suburban, or 
that the people running the Freedom of Information Department are probably lying that these mileage and maintenance records you speak of don't exist because, listen, we all know that those records do exist. What is it for you, Sheila? Isn't it fascinating how right after I catch Freeland flying a limo ahead of her plane or driving a limo empty ahead of her plane so that she can fly into places like Montreal, get driven around like a rock star, then hop a plane and send a limo home empty while all the while claiming that she's some sort of climate warrior. Isn't it interesting how we we break that story, then all of a sudden there are no available ministerial limo records available since the last election. It is absolutely crazy. This is the second um, ministry in two weeks who's suddenly claiming that the drivers aren't keeping limo records, their mileage records or anything like that, maintenance logs, anything that would produce an odometer reading for me. It's absolutely ridiculous. We had the environment minister and infrastructure. So that's Catherine McKenna's department. Um, we've busted her driving habits in the past um, when she was driving around in a Subaru Crosstrek, which is, you know, a, not an outrageous car to drive, kind of nice, it, you know, cheap to drive for an SUV, but it certainly isn't a Prius. And uh, now the new environment minister, Wilkinson, neither one of these ministries are producing their records. They're claiming they don't exist, which is absolute garbage. Well, Sheila, this is the thing. Here at The Rebel, we incur travel expenses and sure. uh, equipment expenses. And I know by experience, you do too, that we fill out expense forms and you have to have all the dates. You have to have the receipts. Everything has to line up. We're a private company, right? These yeah. guys are spending this money on the public dime. That makes it even more incumbent that precise records are being kept so that there is proof that they are not abusing the taxpayer dollar. Sheila, how can it be in that scenario that there are no records being kept because that is absolutely irresponsible? How can it be? It can't be. There are those records out there. I mean, how do they know when to do an oil change on the ministerial limo? How do they know how many kilometers that driver has logged so that he has to switch out and um, give the car over to another driver? There has to be these records somewhere. They do exist. A lot of these vehicles are leased. So the it's incumbent on the government to keep these mileage logs. If you are a private enterprise, a private contractor, and you try to claim your vehicle expenses, your mileage on your taxes, and you don't have odometer readings, imagine what the federal government is going to say about your tax return. You might even get audited. But for the federal government themselves, they're hiding these records. It's not that they don't exist. They absolutely exist. They're just not turning them over. But you know, Sheila, the other thing I find disturbing, um, many years ago I was doing several stories for several publications about um, the sort of monkey business that was going on at the Liquor Control Board of Ontario. And I, at one point I think I was up to about $3,500 in freedom of information requests to the LCBO. And I can tell you, my friend, that as much as the executives, uh, well, hated me uh, for doing these stories, when it came to the LCBO's FOI department, Freedom of Information Department, the people there 
um, were awesome. They considered it to be an ethical thing to make sure that when a request for information came in, that they delivered that request uh, to the journalist. I'm wondering, have things changed now? Is there, uh, I guess, less of a separation of church and state with the FOI department and the bureaucracy and the politicians? Or, or is it something else, Sheila? Because the people I met that were giving me that information, um, they did everything possible in their power to get me that info, but you seem to be getting stymied. Well, one of two things is probably happening here. Either the um, the bureaucrats aren't turning the documents over to the access to information department, which that's a strong possibility. The access to information department might just say, look, there are no records because some bureaucrat told us there are no records. But we also know that um, in Canada, the public sector has become basically interchangeable with the Liberal Party of Canada. Um, their union, CPAC, um, you know, supports the Liberals, a campaign against Harper. They actually ran that Harper Hates Me campaign that actually, it, it alienated quite a few of their frontline workers who didn't want to be in that position of, you know, being a political force, or they just were conservative and they didn't want their union uh, using their money to campaign against the political party they supported. Um, so that could be the case too, where, you know, the bureaucracy and the Liberal Party, they've sort of meshed into this one unstoppable bureaucratic force. And for someone like me trying to break through it to hold the government to account, it's almost impossible once you hit that logjam. We've actually seen, I'm working on... Um, and access to information on another story right now. And I can, I've got two, I, I usually ask questions two different ways in two different departments, and then I can see where they're communicating. And if you can see where they're communicating, you should have the same email in both piles, right? Mm. In both piles from both departments. More often than not, I find emails missing in one, meaning they're withholding information or not producing information or not finding the information and turning it over to me. And that has that's something that I routinely have to do now. Instead of just taking one access to information package on face value, we have to file a second one in a different way and match the information up just to make sure that we're getting the whole picture of what's going on. You know, it's so outrageous, Sheila, as we all know, in 2015, uh, Justin Trudeau promised this was going to be the most transparent government in Canadian history. The precise opposite yeah. is the case. My final question, I think the most relevant question to you, at least on this file, with the limousine rides, um, Sheila, is there any kind of appeals process? I mean, like, can you go to an ombudsman? Can you appeal the ruling? Is there... Who are the cops that you can call to get these people to get you the information that you and the Canadian public are indeed entitled to? Well, there is the information commissioner, the federal information commissioner, and she seems to be a pretty balanced sort of lady. We've appealed to her in the past. She's admonished the liberals for not turning over information that we asked for. In fact, when the Privy Council office, so Justin Trudeau's office, refused to turn over Gerald Butts's expenses because they claimed they were all personal. Well, you can't. If they're personal, I don't want to pay for them. <laughs> and uh, she admonished Trudeau, wrote Trudeau's office a letter saying, turn over these. They are in the 
you know, their public information, their public records. Um, this is breaching Canadian records keeping laws when you don't turn them over. And he basically ignored her. So I can appeal so far, but there really is no accountability once we make it to the ministerial or privy council level. And they just say, yeah, whatever, we're going to do what we feel like. Well, Sheila, I, I know you're like a, a dog with a bone on this uh, yeah, I am. <laughs> file, and uh, you're not going to give up, and I wish you success. And it is just absolutely egregious that you are, are and by extension, the Canadian public are being treated this way. Yep. And I can tell you, folks, Sheila Gunn-Reed is the numero uno person in Canada <laughs> going through reams of bureaucraties to find out the stinking fish in the barrel that makes for these incredible stories that Sheila uncovers on a, on a weekly basis. But as you can see, um, they're throwing obstacles and hurdles in her way that they have absolutely no legal right to do so. It's shocking. Sheila, thank you so much for joining me on this very important issue today. Thanks, David. You have a great weekend. You too, Sheila. And that was Sheila Gunn-Reed somewhere in northern Alberta. Keep it here, folks. More of Rebel Roundup to come right after this. It's International Women's Day, and to paraphrase Helen Reddy, they are women, hear them roar. But why is it that so much of the roaring in 2020 has absolutely nothing to do with women's liberation? I mean, just look at the theme for this year's parade. It states, quote, the world is on fire. We are rising. Indigenous justice, climate and economic justice, end to violence, end to war, end quote. Well, how do you make sense of all of that, folks? Let's wade into this parade and see what those in the sisterhood have to say. Hi, sir. What does the uh, communist movement have to do with women's rights? Oh, he's not allowed to talk to me? Oh, you know what? You're a great emblem of a communist regime, ma'am. Now, why, why would you be marching in a woman's parade when your ideology is responsible for tens of millions of deaths since its inception? Why is that, sir? Oh, you're not allowed to speak to me? Oh, wow. Gee, I, I guess women's rights have taken root here. He can't speak without getting permission from the lady. Please What's that, please, don't, please, please don't. Please, please go. don't take photos. Please, go. Please, please don't take photos of us. Please go. Oh, we're, we're in the public square, ma'am. We're allowed yes, to do that. No, please don't take photos of us. Why? Please don't. You, you've got, you you're in the public square and you've I'm got placards. Uh, okay. Oh, well, feel free to phone the police. Okay, then. Ah, yes, communists and Marxists and socialists galore with plenty of vulgarity to boot. My, oh my, whatever happened to International Women's Day? How did the women's liberation movement get so utterly co-opted by so many progressive kooks? 
In any event, here's what some of you had to say about my visit to the Women's Day March in Toronto last Sunday. Black Cats Matter writes, Ignorance, sad and disturbing as a female who appreciates everything Western civilization has done for us. Pure ignorance and entitlement, acknowledging I was once ignorant too. Hey, Black Cats Matter, great email, and I'm so glad to see that you've decided to join the winning team. Truth and Justice writes, Communism, feminism, abortionism, perversion, misandry, racism, Christophobia, why would anyone not want to join in the fun? LOL. Alas, Truth and Justice, I didn't observe hardly anyone laughing and having fun in this parade. There's just so much sheer anger. And what's more, so many people couldn't even convey why they were so angry. Weird. Jay Chin writes, funny how Hong Kong is fighting for freedom from communism. Meanwhile, the circus clowns in Canada and the USA are asking for communism. Subversion of weak-minded fools. You know, great point, Jay Chin. That's the thing about progressives in North America who clamor for socialism or even communism. They've never actually experienced it, for if they had, they wouldn't be so gung-ho in supporting such toxic ideologies. Just ask anyone from those Eastern European states that endured Soviet-style communism until the Iron Curtain thankfully fell. Superfast30 writes, I don't know of any rational, level-headed woman that buys into this idiotic and foolish agenda. And thankfully, Superfast30, neither do I. <laughs> and finally, Fuchu B writes, Now I see why Trudeau got re-elected. Well, in fairness, Fuchu B, let's not forget about Andrew Scheer missing an empty net on a breakaway. But yeah, you're right. There seems to be a critical mass of left-wing lunacy in Canada these days. Let's hope most of the people associated with that ideology will become wiser with age and change their voting ways, <laughs> please. Well, that wraps up another edition of Rebel Roundup. Thanks so much for joining us. See you next week. And hey, folks, never forget, without risk, there can be no glory. Good night.